Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, which reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is God's word. You may be seated. As you're pulling out your outline and keeping your Bible open to Deuteronomy chapter 6, just a reminder to all of the men, uh, for the last uh, de- couple of decades, we have just really had a, a, a men's ministry that has tried to create and to develop a really dynamic spirit of prayer among our men as, uh, as leaders of our household, as, as, uh, uh, as, as men going out into the community. And uh, we're thankful for all of the leadership and for all of the, the activities that help spur that on. This next uh, Tuesday at 12 p.m., uh, two days from now, we're going to be meeting over in the fellowship hall. We're going to meet at noon. The cost is $5. We want to invite all of the men to come and to be a part of that prayer time together. It's all you can eat pizza. There's some soft drinks. Uh, there's salad. There are these, I don't know, they're, they're a cinnamon roll, but they're really evil. They're so good. And you can't eat just one, so I just completely abstain altogether from it. Uh, but it's just an awesome time for the guys to come together and to pray together, and it's intergenerational. We've got, you know, s- some some guys kind of at you know the Conrad Hausler stage, and some guys at the Mark Absher stage, and then we even got some of the younger guys that show up, and it's just really a great time of prayer. So, just a plug before we we pray that God bless us as we uh, delve into the lesson this morning. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, you're so wonderful to us. And, and, and Father, if we really just sat down and just started writing about all of the ways that you bless us, we wouldn't have uh, enough energy and, or nor time to, to be able to write all of the things that you do in the span of one day in our life. And that's just the stuff that we see. When we begin to factor in all of the things that we normally don't think about that you bless us with, like the rising of the sun and the setting of the moon in the sky and all of the things that that take place on this planet in your creation that help sustain us, Father. We just just marvel that that you you love us and that you provide for us in such a way and that even though we, we are fallen, that you have provided grace for us to know you as our Father, not just today and tomorrow or even all of the days that we live in this life, but to know you as our Father and as our God throughout all of eternity. And our head just swims with the enormity of that blessing because it's in your presence that we find our good. And so, Father, as we endeavor in this next uh, few minutes to understand your word more perfectly and our place in it, we ask you to give, eye, give us eyes to see and ears to hear in such a way, Father, that we're transformed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last week, we looked at that same passage that Jordan just read for us, Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning verse 4, going all the way to verse 9. 
It's a passage about loving God, but it's also a passage about bringing our children to faith. And as we saw last week, there are basically two elements, or there are, there are two angles in which Moses writes to the, the children of Israel and to us today what it means to lead our children to faith. The first is you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. At the core of any faith transmission is that love for God, that God is at the core of your heart, that God is the supreme value of the universe in all that you do. It is, it is the high point of the apex, the, the apogee of love in your life. Now that's the first one, and we touched on it last week. We're going to really look at it more in depth this next uh, Sunday, which is Father's Day. And there are some things that I really want to challenge the fathers to be thinking about as, as they bring their children to faith. The second point we looked at last week, and then we're going to expound this week, is what it means to seize the moment. What it means to transmit that faith every day. And so we're going to expand that concept this morning. I want to begin with a question. It's up here on the screen. The question is, and it's one that I think every parent, and, and really, even though it's addressed to parents, Every person who has any kind of interaction with small children should think about it. The question is this, what kind of God do my children think I serve? When they look at my life, what do they think God looks like? When they see the way that I respond or I react to certain kinds of circumstances or, or situations in life, what does that make them think about God? And so when my kids look at my life, what do they see? Do they see a God who perpetually has his frown on his face and he's just waiting up in, their he in heaven waiting for me to mess up somehow so that he can launch a thunderbolt in my direction and, and just leave nothing but you know, smoke and, and a vapor? Do they see a God who is irrelevant most of the time except on Sunday mornings and he only matters when we come together for church? Or do they see a God who is holy, holy, holy and powerful and magnificent, but at the same time, First John chapter four verse eight, he is a God who is defined by love. Do they see a God who brims with joy? Do they see a God who delights in his creation and in one whom the idea of grace was his original idea? I was listening to a sermon a couple of weeks ago and, and heard a quote. I, I love to read uh, Chesterton wrote some theology books, also wrote some, uh, some mystery, Father Brown series, it, Chesterton wrote that, but it's a profound thinking lay theologian. And in this book, Orthodoxy, he, he wrote this, this, this thing that I was reminded of a couple of weeks ago in this sermon I was listening to. It is, it is one of my favorite quotes. He says, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy for we have sinned and grown old 
and our Father is younger than we. I love that quote. I had, uh, and I think all of us who have gone to school, we had teachers that did not really connect with us, and we had teachers that did connect with us. And one of the one of the things that, especially with me, that kind of connected was if I could see the joy that they were sort of exuding in the way that they taught this subject. Uh, I kind of growing up up until about the time I got into the into high school, I had uh, the math teachers that that really kind of seemed to go through the motions. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting in class, you know, seventh grade, you know, kind of a general math class, and all I hear is wah, 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 and then the dreaded, uh, Mr. Absher, what do you think the answer to that question is? And I would go, uh, you know, 2x minus 1, wah, 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 you know, I was wrong, you know, and it, it just, I, it didn't click until I was in the 10th grade, and I was in Mr. Filardo's class. Now, Mr. Filardo was an exuberant math teacher. But he was also a guy that you could get off the subject very easily. And so we're sitting in there, and he's trying to teach us some math. And he would, uh, he would call on me, and, and he, he loved music. He loved the Bruce Springsteen band. He was from New Jersey. He loved that whole vibe. And so he'd say, uh, uh, Mark, what do you think the answer to that question is? And I go, you know, I don't really know. I was thinking about Bruce Springsteen. Do you know anything about Bruce Springsteen? And Mr. Filardo goes, do I know anything about Bruce Springsteen? I know everything there is about Bruce Springsteen. He did this, and he did that, and he did this, and he did that. And if you listen to the song, you know that there's this progression change in the chords, and it's just, it's so fabulous. And, it, and you know what? If you listen very carefully, you can hear that it changes. One, two, three, four, to one, two, three, four, five. He goes, see, it all gets back to numbers. And he had us. And from there... It, you know, I found myself in trigonometry because of a teacher who taught with joy and with exuberance and taught with, it, it wasn't just that he was interested in that subject, but he thought that that was a subject that everybody should know about and that everybody should have joy in. And you know what? When we went to Mr. Filardo's class and when we left Mr. Filardo's class, we had joy, except on some test days, but it was just this great experience. Teaching about God should be the same way. Do we believe that God is joyful and that when he looks at you, he delights in what he sees and that when he looks at you and knows that he loves you and you love him and that you're trying to be a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, does he delight in you? And the answer is yes. To say that God is a joyful God is not the same thing as saying that he's this tottering old fool that doesn't really care, you know, a snap of the finger about what is right and wrong. To say that God is joyful and, and delights in his creation and in his people, it is to know that even when we're paying the consequences for our wrongdoing, that he still delights and loves his children and he seeks to cultivate joy in our hearts. And when we do something right, you know what he says? Do it again. Do it again. And when you worship him and it's in spirit and truth, and it's not just mechanical, but it's in spirit and truth, what does he say? Do it again. Do it again. Now, I want to speak this morning about the joyful work of sharing our faith with the next generation, which brings us back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. It's known, in fact, you might, have, you might already know this, it's known as the Shema. Why? Because in verse 4, which is where the passage begins, it reads in Hebrew, Shema Yitzrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Hear, Shema, hear Israel. 
Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. Now let's pick it up again in verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorframe of your houses and on your gates. Now when it comes to sharing our faith with the next generation, whether or not we're single, whether or not we're married, single parents, whatever it might be, when we interact as a church family with kiddos, this is what we're attempting to do. Discipling your kids means intentionally introducing them to God in normal, everyday life. Let's say that together with our outside voices. Discipling your kids means intentionally introducing them to God in normal, everyday life. Now, I'm just going to break that sentence down for the rest of the time that we have. The word intentionally. To do something intentionally means that you're working towards this desired goal, that you have this end in mind, and you are intentionally, with intent, with every step you take, with every move that you make. It sounds like a song, and I don't want to go there. But with everything that you do during that day, you have intent to arrive in a certain spot. And when you think about intentionality in terms of, you know, kind of practical things that you do every day, one big word to remember, say it with me, repetition, repetition. We repeat and we repeat and we repeat. Now, it seems, for those of us that have been parents for a long time, that one of the duties of a parent is to repeat ourselves, over and over and over and over and over and over again. We say the same thing. Take out the trash. Hey, take out the trash. Take out the trash. Have you taken the trash out yet? Finally, hey, go over to the trash can and look inside of it and see what's in there. Is that trash? Take it out. We just say it over and over and over again. Rarely do human beings hear one thing and get it. We have to go over things again and again and again and again to get it. When I was studying Hebrew in, uh, in seminary, uh, I, I discovered that in, in learning vocabulary, that if I wrote that word down about 200 times, then I had it. And it paid off one day when we were sitting in Hebrew class, and Dr. Uh, Gary Smith, one of the great Old Testament Bible teachers in the entire world, he says, uh, okay, up to the board. And I was one of five guys that went up to the board, and he said, uh, we're just, I, w- I just want you to write in Hebrew the word I give to you in English. And the word was truth, which in Hebrew is the word emmet, spelled a certain way. There's certain vowel points on it and everything. And I was done. And he goes, uh, Mr. Apps, you're pretty close. And I knew I had him. I said, oh, oh, I, I think that's right. And, he, and, you know, because I associated this with Emmett Smith, the truth. <laughs> and so I knew, I knew that I was right. And so he goes, no, 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 I think you got the word right. You just got some of the vowels wrong. I said, well, I I don't think so. And he said, no, I think you do. And I said, well, I'm just doing it the way the book says to do it. And I opened it up, and sure enough, I was right. Boom. Got it. There's something about repetition that just, it begins to sink in. And that's what Peter understood when he was writing to the first century church. He says, 2 Peter chapter 1, I will always, 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 what's the next word? Remind. I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. So what he's saying there is that I know that you know this, and I know that you know that I know this, but you know what? It's so important. I'm going to remind you of these things that you already know and that you know that I already know. 
I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to, say it, remember. To remember these things. Parents, please accept the fact that repetition is just part of the process. You don't have a, a conversation about God on Tuesday, and that's good for the rest of the week. Those conversations and, and those things, that, those subjects that come up that, that, that turn into spiritual conversations about God is interacting with His creation and how His people should respond to that, you, you have those all of the time. So intentionality, parents, singles, everybody... Everybody in this church, when it comes to these kids, we repeat and we repeat and we repeat and we repeat. It, it's all about intentionality. But then that second word, introducing. Introducing. Two practical ways to think about this. The first is simplicity. And the second thing is clarity. Let's think about simplicity first. Have you, have you ever thought about the way that we introduce people? It's always pretty simple. I mean, we, we try to keep it pretty simple. I mean, first encounter, first contact, we try to keep it pretty simple. What if we made it really complicated? I would like for you to meet Ben Bailey, who is a carbon-based humanoid, 80% water. He is a homo sapien, resides on the third planet from the sun, has a penchant for complicated donuts. And you go, oh, yeah, I know that guy. No, we keep it simple. This is Ben Bailey. This is my friend. This is a great guy. You need to know him. What you say, and the reason that we do, we keep it simple is this. What you say is not always understood. Let me give you a perfect example of this. Uh, sometimes I get the best compliments on something I said in a sermon that I've never even thought about. Sometimes, uh, you know, at the end of the sermon, standing in the bank, somebody said, oh, man, when you said this, I mean, I just, it was so powerful, and you said this and this and this, and it really helped me, and I'm thinking to myself, boy, thank you so much, Holy Spirit, because I've never had that thought in my life. And on the other side of that, sometimes I say something that's completely misconstrued, and I say, well, you said this in the sermon. Well, I said, those might be the words I used, but that's not what I meant. That's why you keep it simple. That's why you keep it simple. What you say is not always understood, which brings us to that second point, which is about clarity. Clarity is something that you have to work at. You can't assume understanding. I remember when my, my kiddos were, were small little dudes, and we, they, they just grew up with great uh, Sunday school teachers. And, and one of them up in Kansas was the name of Helen Denton. Just, just salt of the earth kind of a, of, of a woman, you know, the kind that, you know, fasted every Wednesday. And, it, and nobody knew about it. It was just between her and God and for the purpose of godliness. I mean, this is who this lady is, dedicated to children. And so Jordan is, um, is, is in her Bible class. In fact, before we moved to San Antonio, the only Bible teacher that he had growing up was, was Mrs. Denton. And so I, I just, I knew Helen, um, We'd come home for lunch after church. Um, asked Jordan, uh, what did Mrs. Denton teach you today? He goes, oh, uh, this verse and that verse. I said, well, did she make you memorize it? I said, yeah, yeah. Did you memorize it? Yeah. Why did you say it? He would say it to me. I'd go, what's it mean? I don't know. I would say, well, uh, John 3, 16, really famous verse. 
memorized it, really, really happy. What does it mean to be loved by God? What's that like? And so all of a sudden we began to have this conversation about, about what it means to be loved by God. And how does that make you feel? Does it make you sad? Does it make you happy? Does it make you feel good? I mean, what does it mean to be loved by God? Each time you work for clarity in a kid's life, you're working for the understanding of the God you're introducing into their lives that each day of your life you're praying that they will follow until the day that they see Him face to face at the resurrection. Clear and simple. And not only that, it's every day. It's normal every day. One of the things to note in what it is that Moses has written is that this instruction is not about adding anything out of the normal everyday life that you live. He says, talk about them while you're sitting at home, when you're walking down the road, or when you're driving in the car, or when you go to bed, and when you wake up. Make sure that God is a part of all of your activity. He says, tie them as symbols to your hands. You know, those things those at the end of your arm appendages that, that create stuff and do things. Make sure that God's Word is involved in what you're doing. He says, and, and make sure that a God is a, is, is, is a part of your thinking. And that's why, you know, you bind them onto your foreheads. In all of your normal, everyday activities, when you go to bed, when you get up, when you're walking around, when you're driving around, when, when you're involved in some kind of activity, when you're thinking about things, as you go through your normal day, you think of how you can creatively introduce God multiple times with clarity and intentionality into that kid's life. Now, uh, many, how many of you have read the book by uh, Clark and Powell, uh, Sticky Faith? Listen, Father's Day's coming up. It looks like nobody's read that book. <laughs> Get that book off of Amazon. It is a great book. Sticky Faith. And the book is just a, a, a book that's dedicated to the research on how um, Christian parents can make the faith of God stick in the hearts and souls of their kiddos. And one of the pieces of advice that they give in this book, Sticky Faith, is to get ideas from other parents. And so for the next couple of minutes, that's what we're going to do. I'm just going to give you some examples of how you work in everyday life to, to bring up these conversations about God with your children. Uh, I was listening to a guy talk recently. He was talking about um, uh, you know, bringing kids to faith. And he said he, a friend of his had these little boys, and one of the things that these boys loved to do was to build forts inside of the house. You know, you rearrange a couch, coffee table, lamp, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And this is what he decided one day, this is what these kids do all the, all the time, this is what we're going to do. He, they made the epic fort of all living room forts. The only problem was he did not get authorization from his wife to move the, the dining room table into the living room and to use the best covers off of the beds. But he made this, this gigantic fort, and they, all the kids, it's dark on the inside, they get inside of this fort, and they have flashlights. <coughs> they have flashlights, and they read Psalm 46. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And he passed the flashlight around to all of those kids, and they took turns talking about what it means for God to be a fortress while they're in the middle of this fortress. It's just stuff they're doing every day. And this genius father decided, I'm going to take an opportunity to share Scripture with my kids in such a way that they will understand how God is a fortress in our life with, with a lot more pungency. 
uh, an example to uh, from our church family. Uh, a couple of months ago, uh, Julie Paduska, two little old kiddos, Bennett and Liz, and, and her husband Ellie, doing a great job raising these kids. I get an email from Julie. She goes, you know what? We really want uh, our kids to learn how to sing with joy and to sing out. And part of that is, is knowing the words and, and kind of having an idea of what it is they're supposed to be singing. Would you mind sending me the worship list ahead of time so that we can take these books and these songs and listen to them and, and sing them and so that our kids can participate in worship? And that's what we do. Example number three. How many of you do at the dinner table high day, low day? Start today at lunch. Everybody go around at lunch as you're eating and you, you give what is the high point of your day, which is the best part of the day, or you do the low point, or, and you do also the low point of the day or the bad part of the day, and, and then you, you talk about where God is in all of that, and you just do that every day. Example number four, another idea I, I heard about with the ABCs of praise, whereas you're sitting around the table with your kids, you go, okay, everybody knows the ABCs, let's figure out a blessing from God that begins with every letter of the alphabet. A is for thank God for the apples. Uh, B, you know, thank God that we're all going to take baths tonight, you know. I mean, but you figure out using the alphabet blessings that you get from God, and it becomes this time of praise where you realize, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of reasons to praise God during the day. Uh, example five, what do guys and sons talk about a lot? Sports. I didn't pay him to give me that answer. He's just really brilliant. <laughs> So what do dads and sons and dads and daughters, actually, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not gender-based anymore. Uh, girls are involved in sports as much as guys are. But, you know, what do we talk about every day? We talk about sports. Yeah, we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, the, the, the Rangers right now. And before we were talking about the Rangers or the Astros, we were talking about the Spurs. And before that, we were talking about Jerry Jones and those Cowboys. I mean, what's going on there? You know, but we, and high school sports and, and, and all of that stuff, right? And when you talk about sports, and it's something that you do every day, you turn it into something spiritual. One of our shepherds, uh, 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 Norris Elam, had a, uh, I heard about this conversation he had with his son Jordan uh, 15 years ago when I first came here. He was talking about how Jordan was kind of going through uh, kind of a slump. Uh, it, it was striking out quite a bit at the plate. Uh, maybe, you know, struck out five times in a row, something like that. It was really down on himself. And Norris in, in his, you know, Norris is short, but he's wise. He, he walks up to his son, and he's, and he's talking to Jordan because he loves his son, and he goes, hey, what's the number one thing you bring that team every day? And Jordan gets to thinking about it, and he goes, uh, 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 you know, spirit, uh, maybe some good fielding, uh, leadership, and Norris goes, no. I mean, you, you could bring all of those things, but, you know, you're going to have good days and bad days you know, as a, as, a, as a baseball player, you know what you bring every day that's the most important thing that you bring to that team? Christian example. But knowing that you have to repeat things, about a week later, he says, hey, Jordan, uh, what is it is the most important thing that you, you bring to your team every day? And Jordan goes, uh, knowing how to bunk correctly, uh, you, know, no, you know, good fielding, no errors, you know, eye on this, you know, that kind of, he goes, no, no, Christian example. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dad, I get it, I get it, I get it. Third time, fourth time, finally when Norris asked Jordan, hey, what is the most important thing that you bring to your high school baseball team? Jordan goes, Christian example. Last week, he texts Jordan, who is uh, in his early 30s now, has his own little kiddo, 
And he, and he just texts him out of the blue and goes, what's the most important thing you bring to the team every day? He gets a text back that said, Christian example. That's the deal. That's the deal. And it wasn't, it, it wasn't torture. It was joy. You're talking about happy things and good things. And there are times to talk about the tough things that happen in life because kids are kids and they're not always going to make wise decisions. And, and, and th- there are times when you talk about the consequences and there are times when, when you have to talk very, very straight. But you are teaching them about a God who exults in making daisies one at a time and, and watching the sun rise and the moon be set. And he looks upon his earth and he just exults in joy and in wonderment. And that's what you're doing every day. It, and the byproduct of all of this is that you're creating a safe place to talk about God. Because you've been doing it every day. It becomes a very safe place to talk about God. Believe me, one day you're going to be asked a question that you don't know the answer to. God, how come dinosaurs are not in the Bible? It's okay to say, I don't know. But you know what? We're going to find the answer to that. And then you call you know, Barry Newton, who's kind of our computer who wore tennis shoes on staff, and you ask Barry for resources about all of that kind of stuff, and you do it together, and then you get back, you go and you get the answer, and then you come back and you talk about it. But the reason you do it, it's up here on the screen, you talk now in order to talk later. You talk now in order to talk later. There's just going to be that moment when you know, it's not going to be about dinosaurs and it's, it's not going to be about, you know, how many days of creation and what is the order of creation and, you know, tell me what, you know, tell me the books of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament and, you know, can you do it backwards and all that kind of stuff. One day it's going to be about, okay, I get it. There is a God, but what does that mean? And there's a generation of young people that are growing up in our city right now. And that's the big question that they're asking. Okay, I believe there's a God. I, I believe that He created everything, but so what? What does that mean for me? Where's the relevancy? That's why you have to have that conversation every day, multiple times, that are simple and clear right now so that you can answer those really important questions when they are thinking about the future of their faith and they're making that faith their own is that they know who to go and get those answers from because there's been authenticity and genuineness all along and joy, and joy, and joy. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now, and some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. If there are ways that we might minister to you, we want you during the singing of this next song to make those needs known to these shepherds. The God who created us and the God who exults in us and is, is a God of wonderment. And as we sing this next song, let's sing out praise to Him. Amen? Let's stand and praise God together. Is it for me, dear Savior, thy glory and thy